Um, hello and welcome back to the podcast. We are in the classic Classico format. Uh, myself, Samaydeng Kundin. What's that? And a guest who was up indeed. A guest who has been absent for far too long. <laughs> uh, you know her from our Batani episode back yes. in February. Uh, Kay, what's up? Hello. Good to be Welcome back. Welcome back, Kay. Special <laughs> Kay. Special oh. K is back. Um, so today, basically, we wanted to. So, so kind of the idea behind uh, these episodes, we're going to do two episodes, right? Mm-hmm. The idea is we were going to do Thai a history of Thai foreign policy, and basically, when we were kind of researching this, it's quite obvious that that kind of splits up into two very distinct sections. Right. One of them being uh, the colonial period and then obviously the post-colonial Cold War era. Mm-hmm. So in this first episode, we're going to focus on the colonial period and uh, answer the question which is really persistently being asked Whoa. of people who know about Thailand outside of Thailand, which is why was Thailand never colonized? Are we qualified? Um, <laughs> well, we, we seem to be qualified to do all the other episodes we do. I mean, or, or not? I don't think we're qualified for anything, but that just means we should do it. Well, no right. one else is. Yeah, that kind of that's kind of like the the backbone of this whole endeavor, right? Is, is no one else is doing it, and they're all qualified, no one else is doing so we it. might as well do it, even though we're not qualified. Yeah, either. exactly. <laughs> I'm taking yeah. that. I'll do that. Well, actually, I mean, Kay has like some quite good credentials. Ah, good point. Oh no! Oh no! So it's just because we're not qualified, but she is. <laughs> oh, please, no, exactly. yeah, no, no. That's why we have guests. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. I think the, the, the really quick answer as to, like, why was Thailand never colonized, this is what I wrote down in the doc, is uh, was never colonized, uh, kind of by luck, and also it kind of was colonized. Yeah. You guys agree? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I always have, like, So thanks arguments. for listening, everybody. We'll yeah. be back. No. <laughs> so what's the argument? That was the episode. <laughs> But you know, like always, there was an argument about like whether Thailand is colonized or not, and even some of like senior or like you know famous um, researcher and academic in Thailand always come out and like, no, we were never colonized. But like, if you look at the historical perspective and like all the document, and we are some kind of like semi-colonization country, I would say like that. But we can go further into that later on. Um, Jit Pumi goes. Before we, before we, before we, before we get into things. The, the way I perceive it, yeah, um, mm. is if you're playing a game of Civ Five as uh, Ramcom Hang, because that's the only, like, you can play as Siam in fucking Civ Five, uh, and then all you do is conduct foreign policy and have good relations with your neighbors, but you never declare war on anyone unless it's, like, right next door to you. Um, and basically, when it's a it's a domination victory, right? And then all these other um, empires are trying to come and like take your capital, but you're always like, "Hey, no, don't do that. Here, let me give you some cities instead," right? Mm. So I see yeah. it as a very prota- very very protracted like Civ Five game where you just do your best to give your enemies <laughs> stuff without like them actually coming to encroach upon your own like importance part of your your nation state thing. Boom. Yeah, and also it's kind of like treading water is kind of how it looked to me when yeah. I've been reading yeah. about this whole really period. Is. It's like we're just about keeping our head above water, yeah. not being yeah. fully colonized. Yeah, yeah. it is. What is yeah, it's how my mum does our, our, our house's finances. <laughs> so <it's> like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's something. So very I think 
Yeah. So, oh, also, I wanted to say as well, this kind of this this history kind of cuts to two other topics that we've discussed on this show a couple of times. One is the Thailand is a special country notion, which is held by a lot of the Thai right wing, you know, which is that there's something kind of unique and special about Thailand. And one of the key things they always point to is this kind of never colonized thing. Mm-hmm. And the other one is uh, the other concept we've spoken about is Bangkok as an imperial core of its own yeah. as it relates to the rest of the country. So, um, yeah. So we, 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 people who have listened to previous episodes can kind of, you know, weave this in as they like. So, uh, should we, should we kind of go back to 1511? What do uh, you, you have? Uh, I'm just going to like run through this, this really early history. Um, so, so, you know, the first documented contact with Europeans uh, was in 1511 with the Portuguese, who, you know, were the first pretty much everywhere of the Europeans. Um, but then kind of the next few centuries, the region was treated as like all these other regions east of Europe. So so you've got these European powers kind of like tentatively probing all of these areas uh, and, and Africa as well, that is, um, at first for trade, uh, proselytizing, and then that would result, of course, in colonization. Particularly in Siam, it was really the English, the French, and the Dutch were all kind of trying to get in there as these imperial powers. Um, but but the thing is about these these early days, which is like the the Europeans weren't really able to assert themselves in these areas, right? But you, you can see them trying. And then we can then we can get onto like the kind of when it starts to kick off, which is I mean this is the the siege of Bangkok under King Narai, and actually I'm not really sure about this. Kay, like how much is this known about? Like you taught this in school and stuff. It's been portrayed in a lot of like popular media, like a mass media, and a lot of lacon and a lot of like um, TV mm. series. And of course, it's always portrayed in, in the picture of like nationalism and how Thai was a victim and they try to fight it, etc, etc. You know, you know the deal of how uh, nationalism being portrayed in Thailand. But yeah, it was a, like quite of the first event where um, not really the first, but quite some of the first event that come into Thailand and then Thai have really to face um, the threat from the outside, I would say. Well, the European I, again, I'm not much of Europe a historical person. Particularly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll just quickly run through it. Um, so this was under King Narai, and this was in the Ayutthaya period. Mm-hmm. So we're talking mid 1600s. And um, so King King Narai, he was like very influenced by Europeans, uh, kind of the first one, first uh, monarch in in the re- well in what is today yeah. Thailand, whatever we want to call it, the uh, preceding states to be you know close to Europeans, and and he had this Greek advisor who seemed to be I don't know running the show so it seems um and so he was very you know interested in europe kind of sympathetic maybe we could say and particularly like the dutch the portuguese the english were were pretty active you know trading in the region and so he naraya that is uh invited in the french as a kind of counterweight to those other european powers and um and so, so the French like was like, oh shit, we're actually being invited to do like colonialism, right? Um, and so, but you know, again, you know, this, these these uh, European powers aren't quite able to project so much power hit, hit, at this period. 
Um, but the French really took this as an opportunity to kind of uh, establish themselves in Ayutthaya in a way that looks a lot like early colonization. And um, so they set up this fort in Bangkok and started to establish themselves in like within the Siamese, or not Siamese, Ayutthaya army and the navy. Yeah, but they were not welcome in Bangkok by higher society by any means. And um, I think I think particularly this was because of the missionaries that they were bringing in, or that's what I read yeah. anyway. Um, the, uh, um, the French were like really into trying to get um, King Narai to like become a Catholic. Um, and I, I sort of, I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but the whole situation is demonstrative of like different European factions getting involved in different like parts of national politics. So like in, in the actual conflicts that took part, uh, took place, um, it was sort of like the Dutch kind of aligned themselves, um, like the Dutch East India trading company, um, like they, they kind of aligned themselves with, um, like one group of ties, whereas the French were backing the, the, the king at the mm. time. And then the Portuguese were like, Hey, what about the treaty of Tordesillas? We were like, this part of the world is ours. Like what's going on here? So like, yeah, um, all these different sort of parts of, uh, early colonialism bec becoming entrenched. And like one part of that is, um, companies it, it trading companies becoming important military fa uh, roles taking important military roles and yeah. also like different historical treaties being violated or being perceived as violated that kind of thing yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. audacity of the caucasity um to like just yeah yeah it basically that's the sub <laughs> that's my that's my conclusion or the audacity of the caucasity uh -huh. yeah but it's like a struggle between yeah. internal politics yeah. too, isn't it? Like during that time, the ally and like the other brother, um, does it call brother? I don't know, but like trying to come know, and take control. Are you yeah. talking about uh, like with the backing Petra, of Petra? Oh, Petra Cha, what's his name? Oh uh, yeah, 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 he yeah, was yeah, a, yeah. Not a brother. He was a, a cousin. I yeah. Think. Ah, in uh, the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it, it, like. Even the Greek, even the Greek advisor was like, "I don't like what he's doing with the French." Well, the Greek advisor bloody inv uh, invited the French in. I mean. No, yeah, but then he tried to push. Oh no, no, sorry, that was um, that was the that was the other one. That was the other one. I I, I beg your pardon. That was that was the cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that yeah. was the cousin. The cousin was like, "I don't like the f what you're doing with the French." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So so okay, this is important, right? So so the cousin, uh uh. uh Petra Cha, I don't know. Petra Cha, Petra Cha, I don't know. Um, was, Petra Cha. Thank right? you, Petra yeah. Cha. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> was very anti European, was very anti French in particular, particularly yeah. the proselytizing, because Petra Cha was like this really devout Buddhist. Um, so, Narai was kind of slowly dying, and it was clear he was going to die. And when he was like in, on his deathbed, there was this power play by Petra Cha, who was a general as well, and yeah. um, he he took over the kingdom. Also, I think I think he may have killed or something like that. I can't remember. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, his daughter. And, and also, like, there's sure. there's a lot of yeah. <laughs> there's also a lot of stories that he um, <laughs> Narai as well, um, but he was mm. he 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 basically you know while Narai was dying took over the country and sieged yeah. those French forts uh, for several months, yeah. uh, trying to get him out, and uh, eventually, yeah, pushed him out of um, Ayutthaya. Yeah, uh, he did success, right? Yeah. Kicking out Are the Are we saying that this king of Ayutthaya... 
See now, I might even have to cut this. For That's kind of slanderous, is it not? Yeah, you know, there's <laughs> going to be a lot of like beep in this. What section. the fuck? So How can we talk about history? Let's just roll man. with it. How is it supposed know, to talk about history? Oh, it is like one, one, two, like cover up all the history thing too. I don't know how far back they cover up. Exactly. So, so people have been charged with uh, Les Majestés for talking about a UTR mm. era royalty. So we gotta, mm. we gotta get the old beep yeah. ready. Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he drives out the uh, the French, and um, and then the ride dies. Right. And uh, Petra establishes a new dynasty in Ayutthaya, and uh, that was the last dynasty, actually, although we're going to try and really run through this. Um, so, yeah, I think that's quite an interesting uh, way to kind of frame these early attempts at colonization in terms of, like, no, there was, like, this one very distinct, successful moment of driving the Europeans out, you know, kind of sets a precedent, um, in the minds of the Thai elite, at least. Um <laughs> Even even like in the with the picture they portray in like Thai popular media is like oh the uh, European and the Westerner foreigner come in and they try to find benefit from Thai natural resource and like um, getting into the circle of elite and manipulate our king etc etc and then well it's true the, um, yeah that, that's that's pretty pa- reasonable out, right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean like I do agree with that but then like the Thai media portray is just so so bad even though I agree with oh, yeah. that statement I feel like. It's just too nationalistic, man. And like, they just portray like Papel Lasha as like the hero who come and ah. save um, the like manipulative Sayam from the foreigner hand. And like, I mean, yeah. Well, just it come back to like um, who hold the power to rewrite history or to told the information and implant it in uh, the society yeah. mind. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Also, we're gonna have to be doing some great. Uh, great man theory of history because oh, there's boy. literally so little um there's so little records which we can look back to um so it, we it's, it's very hard for us to you know judge popular sentiment uh, yeah, you know, against europeans or whatever mm. um we really don't have that much to go on in these earlier periods but fortunately we are skipping ahead and ignoring the rest of the UTA period and getting to really the juicy parts, which is uh, the the 1800s. Um, and really, I want to kind of set the stage for Siam in the 1800s, because this is what we're really going to dig into. Um, and so I've got this map, which is in the dock, which you guys can see. And I'll put it in the description mm-hmm. of yep. the episode. And it's a pretty map. basic, standard kind of Wikipedia-style map. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can really see Siam, or the territory of Siam being chipped away over the course of the late 1800s. And we're going to talk about mm. how... And, and also, you can, you can start to see how modern Thailand got its borders as well. And we're going to talk about how, how that process kind of happened. And as well, I think what's really important before we get into that is talk about like what Siam actually was, because certainly it was not a nation state as we know yeah, it today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and right. something we've talked about in previous episodes a lot. So, so we've got this kind of a uh, Muang system um, where mm-hmm. you have these uh, cities or, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's the only way to, to describe them. All these different regional capitals which had a lot of autonomy simply because bangkok was not yeah. able to assert itself in the further reaches of its uh i don't know of the kingdom right 
Um, so a lot of the territorial claims by Siam were just claims. They weren't necessarily administering in this whole, you know, area yeah. on the map, right? So I just want to add, like, when you say Mueang, um, um, I want to add there is this thing called Hua Mueang. Or I think it's mm-hmm. referred to what you're saying before. It's different from Mueang because, like, Hua Mueang is like the head city. So they they also they have an autonomy over the other city too. So like the head of the regional city. I don't know if that makes no, sense or not. Yeah, but a little yeah. bit of the differences. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like um, it's like a sort of kind of loose federation of city states with like regional control around mm. the city state that kind of thing, and it's like federated under the monarchy. But then obviously the further away, like yeah. you say. Um, uh, the further away you are from the imperial, so from the uh, the main core, then like the less physical control you have, um, like f- physical presence yeah. and physical representations of dominance. So, so we talked about this a lot yeah. on the on the on the on the Jip Pumisak, uh, uh, the real face of Thai feudalism. We we talked about it a lot uh, on that. So, I mean, go back and listen to that. It's an important episode. Um, but essentially, you know, this is this is how Siam was governed. Um, and, and, and actually, mm. you know, pretty much everything which is today a state kind of has a history of, of this, really, um, including in Europe. Uh, so, but this is, wait, this is the Mandala system, right? Uh, like the Mandala mm. tributary system? I would say so, yes. Right? Because it's like a, seri- but a series of concentric yeah. interlapping, uh, interla- uh, inter- overlapping circles but the mandala system was sort of more like uh like say for example like the siamese empire then the khmer empire and then like um whatever the hell was going on with burma at the time uh like like it was more like that focused but i think you could argue at a lower level it works the same way yes mm-hmm. i do agree like see i was treating like huomong just like yeah the tribunal system like um they just send an envoy and then they collect the what that the good tribunally from like those Huomuang and then they claim like oh because they pay us this good they belong to us even though despite the fact that those Huomuang or those uh, head city also pay the good to the other um, empire or higher too so it can't so just as you said like Thailand oh no Siam just claim it's just a claim it's not really the actual um they belong to us kind of thing and they just take advantage of that situation and just, you know, claim it as their own and then they tell it to the foreign entity that come in and say like, oh, from here to here is belong to us because we don't have the map yet mm. back at the time. So so mm. I think that's kind of important when when you were talking about like uh, yeah. basically tax collection. This is really important because this is very much pre-capitalism and we're, we're kind of going to start looking at the influence of Europeans and the introduction of capitalism. And again, obviously, we talked about this in uh, the Jip Pumisak episode. But uh, at the time, really, the the in terms of the economy, there was an absolute monopoly by those uh, muangs, right? By the by the by the leaders in those uh, muangs, be they um, you know re- direct relations to the monarchy or not in Bangkok. And th- this is how I think I think. Samai, maybe you can remind me, like, there's this, this uh, trade monopoly system, which is owned by the Muang governors, or the, right? Um, and that's kind of how finance, if you like, how the economy works, right? Well, you mean, like, in terms of 
trade or like 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 pre-capitalist economy yeah it was like yeah trade between yeah, yeah well in terms of in terms of like trade in uh, like like in it like proper trade right yeah there was um like the the trade monopoly system where it was um uh, regional like feudal lords of the heads of the mungs like asserting themselves um into every part of the, the trading sphere um but that would just mean every part of the economy was essentially just controlled um and that there were that there was like a, a weird period of um there was still a lot of collections because there was loads of taxes so many fucking taxes but yeah no yes you're correct so this kind of brings us perfectly to the the John Crawford Treaty and the Bernie Treaty, which were both treaties with the with the British uh, in the early eighteen hundreds, so eighteen twenties. And uh, this this does two things. Uh, one is beginning the process of setting the borders for Siam, uh, and then and making it a you know a European style nation state of sorts. And then the other one is really introducing capitalism. Um, and this is because, you know, the British wanted to obviously get in on that, on that trade, wanted to get in on the economy and, and start making money. So, uh, basically, uh, I, I, I can't remember which treaty this is. Okay. Maybe, you know, the Crawford or the Bernie, like one of them really kind of opened up the economy to, uh, to, to the British. I think it's the Bernie one, right? Yeah. Right. So they, I think they set up the treaty and then economic they start opening the uh, international trade and the route of export and then which lead to the chain in internal structure of Siam economic activity like and they also shift from like I don't know if it's the word or sufficient economy like they do they do um agriculture for their own uh livelihood or standard of living but now they shift from that subsistence yeah and then they move to uh export uh, yeah it, like centered yeah well, it's the start of, yeah, of yeah, ex- yeah. international exports. And yeah, right? it was, it was, it was quite a big shame because you, as you said, Thai, uh, Siam back then have like this monopoly of, uh, economic activity and financial system going on, which related to the monarchy and the palace in Bangkok, right? But with the British coming in and with the 3D, um, being implemented, they, uh, they were forced to kind of like change and adapt because they need this like good relationship. Right, and I'm not quite sure if it were due to the um the external threat that happening. I'm not sure if it's the correct time though. But uh, back then the king did not really yeah. want to do the Bernie Treaty. But then like uh, there was this uh the Myanmar and British war yeah, in which yeah. Myanmar lost. I'm not sure if this is in the that's, Bernie that's the or Bernie, the so, uh, so, so, so part of the I, 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 as far as I understand, like Bernie and John Crawford ones would like, kind of more like determining. Um, Siam's like opinion on or like position towards states in the region, right? Uh, sorry, yeah. empires or wherever in the region, right? Yeah. So I think the 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 way I kind of read that, yeah. uh, the way I kind of read this was the the, the British were already heavily invested in uh, their yeah. Yeah. and Burma territories, right? Yeah. And and uh, Thailand had this really. Uh, you know, long history with fighting the Burmese. And so the yep. British kind of uh, utilized Siam as an ally to ensure their colonization of Burma. You know, they were saying, you know, uh, an enemy of an enemy yeah. is my friend, something like that. Yeah. Um, the same is also true of yeah. the, the Malay the Malay territories to a lesser degree. Yeah. But essentially, Siam saw the, I, I guess they kind of, in two, they saw it in two ways. One is, oh, the British are coming and, and you know, 
uh, uh, hurting our enemies of uh, Burma and Malaysia. This is good for us. However, mm. okay, they might turn their attention to us, so let's try and make yeah. friends yeah. with them. Um, so I feel like it was kind of like a, a oh, very tactical yeah. Yeah. Uh, play on that. Yeah. They were, you know, forced into it to a degree, you know. Um, yeah. So if if no one has uh, anything else on that, I think we got to move on to the big one. Yeah, go on. Okay, so yeah, so um, when Myanmar when Myanmar was attacking, uh, no, when uh, the Brit, can I say the Brit? Is that rude? <laughs> Is that rude? <laughs> what you can say what you want. You can't sit back in. Crackers. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So, 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 uh, Burma lost the war, right? And actually, like, before, before they lost the war, uh, Thai got this, like, uh, negotiation. They got this proposal from, from, from the Brit saying, like, oh, you want to do this treaty with us? Like, doing, like, trading and etc., right? But the king, he said no. And as soon as the war end and Burma lost, right? Some of his minion, the king minion coming and say, like, um, you know what? Maybe we should try to consider it. Cause, you know, like, Maybe we are facing another like higher or much larger threat than, uh, than what we used to before during the past. So maybe we should try to go with being their ally instead of like with our high ego saying like, oh, we don't need them or we don't need the trade. So I feel like that also like the start of the beginning of the 3D is like Thailand begin to think strategically that maybe they're a bigger is external force outside of us and that we need to find some suitable because we definitely can't go using like force against them because we see from the example of Burma. So I feel like that's also lead to the signing of the 3D as you guys were talking about yeah. too. So 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 this was under yeah. King Naklao, right? Yeah, I think so. We haven't really gone on, we haven't really dug into the leadership that much and I think on, on, when it when King Mongkut makes an appearance, we, we really have to start looking at the leadership to try and get a better idea of uh, who's kind of making these decisions. So I just want to talk about King Mongkut quickly because this is this is a real the real I don't know external threat era under King Mongkut and uh, his successor Chulalongkorn. So quickly on King Mongkut, uh, so he came to the throne in 1851 uh, and he was there for 17 years, right? And he's he's a really adored figure by the Thai royalists today. Um, he's known as, you know, the father of science and technology. Um, so he, he was quite a reformist in the European sense. So he introduced European style education to his court, as well as, you know, Western geography, kind of got rid of some of the, the because obviously before uh, education was really intertwined with kind of Buddhist teachings um, and Hindu Brahman stuff as well, right? So he kind of scrapped a lot of that for his court and brought in this this more European way of perceiving the world, right? Um, and uh, there was like this big influx of missionaries uh, under him, although apparently that they, they didn't have much success and, and Siam was known as a very tricky place to convert. I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. Um, but, you know, Mongkut also uh, reformed a lot of aspects of Buddhism during his time as well, right? And so so we've got all these firsts coming in under King Mongkut. So we've got like the first printing press, uh, Western-style military unit, units and also he uh cut ties to the king dynasty which uh, in um in china which i think is really important because we start to see uh siam shifting its focus away from basically you know the the the, the big you know looming china in the north northeast and, and and looking towards the west as is the the real world power players right um so Fuck the Qing dynasty uh, all my homies hate the yeah Qing. so like uh, 
Um. There, there was one. Um, there's there's this one famous story that he's known for in the West, which is supposedly uh, offering to send elephants to the North in the U.S. Civil War, but uh, it is it, is pretty much bullshit. Um, Sounds like bullshit. That would be very funny. But he he did send. He did send President Buchanan some elephants as, you know, a gift. And then they arrived during Lincoln's time when the war had basically started. So that's that's how that story uh. kind of happened. Um, and then there's the eclipse story. So uh, maybe we should uh, talk about how... The, and this is... The, the eclipse story is, like, I think, a really key narrative for the Thai royalist uh, mindset to understanding how you know Thailand was never supposedly colonized. Um, does anyone want to tell I don't the, eclipse, know the story? eclipse story? I'm excited. Yeah, really. I remember hearing this when, like, it was like the second year I lived in Thailand, and someone was like, "Whoa, you don't know the eclipse story?" All right, fine, I'll tell it. Um, so he was a. I'm not even going to say amateur. I'm going to say a kind of prof- semi-professional astronomer. Well, it is astronomy, right? The, the actual planet. Yes, astronomy is okay. the study yeah, okay. of that, and okay. as opposed to astrology. Thank which you. Is what my girlfriend does. Uh, uh-huh. um, you don't have a girlfriend. I know. That's the joke. That's the joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so astronomy. So my single ladies. Um, so astronomy. What was I saying? Oh yeah. There's this. There's this story which is that he. And this, this bit is true, right? So he successfully predicted an eclipse, which is a, a, a solar eclipse, which is a very oh. big deal, frankly. Like, it's impressive. Like, I, I'm i impressed that he might... Or I don't, you know, how much mm-hmm. it was him and how much it was his, you know, court of uh, uh, astronomers, I'm not sure. But, you know, he, he, he invited all of these uh, diplomats from the embassies and high society types uh, European high society types who were in Bangkok. He invited them down to Hua Hin, where there was a royal observatory, and they all had a lovely party and witnessed the successfully predicted Doesn't eclipse. Like and, most nights in Hua Hin. And he was, uh, and, and sorry, everyone was, oh, just so impressed that this, uh, what's a nice, this savage uh, region could produce somebody who could yellow actually, face. you know, do, this, this, do, this yeah, yellow. Do, do real uh, white uh, man science. Like not so barbaric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can and predict. And so they were so impressed yeah. that they were like, wow, these Siamese, they, we can't be colonizing them. They're too, they're too uh, intelligent, respectable. <laughs> they're too intelligent. Oh my God. But you know what, like, I feel like with this eclipse story, I, I, I have heard of it before, but I did not really dig into it because, you know, that's a little bit. But, you know, with King Mongo, there's a lot of things going on with how how we say, like, he's oh, the father of Cyan and the king of Cyan, right? But then on the other side, there was also, like, this thing where people um, know him for being um, Holasad. I'm not sure how, how we call it uh, in English. Yeah, though. astronomy, right? Uh, Astro- no, astrology, that one, yeah. Uh, but it's a little bit... Yeah, but it has something to relate to do with like spiritually, like you know, um, in Thai, he he's known for like both being like the father of the science and like uh, doing the intelligent white man stuff. But at the same time, though, the the way he practiced his um, study on science and thinking is also related to those spiritual world where you know Thailand are a big fan of um, like fortune telling kind of thing. 
I'm not sure like yeah, the word in so English. Like astrology yeah. and astronomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He combined the two. That that is important. No, he legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not really just mm. pure science thing that um, the white man pick up, but also some spiritual thing going on, like laying beneath under his intention of studying this kind of thing. Because you know how the palace and relation to spiritual fortune telling have their relationship going on since a long, long time ago. Like, if they're gonna do war, they need to, like, have a fortune teller tell them first, like, which day is the best day to go for. And they watch the sun, the star, and I don't know. They do their thing. They do their math. And, 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 their spiritual math. And I think that's, yeah. like, that stresses the the fact that he successfully predicted this eclipse is, like, a very big deal to if you're, like, a, you know, a believer in some of this uh, religious stuff as well, right? Yeah. Because every time I think about um, uh, 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 like astrology or like weird kind of um, spiritual fortune telling type things in Thailand, I think of the plowing ceremony. Um, yeah. And I, I was just, I was just wondering, Ooh. like, yeah, the plowing ceremony dates back, back, right, like thirteenth century type mm-hmm. situation. But I was wondering if there was like any changes to it, you know along the line no i think they they got rid of it under chula longhorn and then they brought it back again i think madness i'd have to check (laughs) i might be wrong about that uh but so brother uh that's monkut right so um he this this is this is this is a really the really seismic shift in, in, in Siam's economy, in foreign policy, uh, domestic policy as well. Um, and, you know, it, and, and this is, this is the, the Bowering Treaty of 1855. Ooh, and, and the this is big a really one. big one. Mm. Yeah, so, so <laughs> basically this is like following the British playbook of colonization. They, they, they implemented right. this treaty, um, which essentially, you know, opened up Siam to the British, particularly the ports, right? Uh, like Bangkok, and I think Songkhla, places like that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think it's really important to stress the context of this. So this happens, what we're talking, what the, the previous treaties we were talking about before were pre-Opium War, right? Um, and so this is post-Opium War. So, uh, obviously this was like the, just in case anyone isn't hundred percent, this is, uh, this is the the British assault on China, where the British, with their gunships, just bombarded the Chinese coast, which, which is where the population centres were, um, uh, to to basically ensure and force uh, the Chinese to allow the British to sell opium into China, which was absolutely devastating to to the people of China, and uh, that's also how the British gained Hong Kong, right? And so in 1850. This is before the Barron Treaty, the big one. In 1850, there was this diplomatic delegation to basically try and do the Barron Treaty, um, and it ended very badly. And the, the British threatened to send gunboats to Bangkok. So I think this definitely had Moncourt kind of, uh, you know, worried, and rightly so. Uh, and in this kind of goes back to what you were saying before, Kay, in terms of like, you know, we really need to start. Uh, considering the, the absolute threat we're under from these European powers. And, and the Opium Wars is, I think, a really big turning point in how the British were perceived as yeah. this, oh shit, so a, kind hey, of force. Look what they did the world, to China. I mean, Asia. we're smaller than yeah. China. What yeah, do you think so they'll do to anymore. us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this kind of friendly diplomacy is is, is replaced with what's called like gun gunboat or gunship diplomacy. Yeah, gu- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right. So, so the really significant aspects of the of the Barring Treaty, and so this is 1855, right, is that Bangkok essentially was a a British territory, uh, particularly in relation to trade and also law, right. So, so even like Brits were allowed to to go there, to live there, to to conduct business, open businesses. And or even they were immune from prosecution under Siamese law unless the British authorities yeah. permitted it, which, you know, reeks of colonization. Um, and also the Brits were now allowed to import and sell opium into Bangkok. Yeah, so basically this is only within Bangkok and some other ports. Technically, the rest of Siam still independent, although the British were still running around there as well. Um, but yeah, the British held an absolute monopoly on foreign trade out of those ports, which is very, very, very significant. And this is yeah. this is when we're talking about well, Siam was, you know, it kind of was colonized, right? Yeah. So this this was the uh, point that people made. Like, uh, if you look at the history and the context, Thailand. Oh, Siam. I keep saying Thailand, but yeah, Siam is like seriously not the peel from colonization as we always thought in history lesson right we see like the semi-colonized system where as you say the court and how they have the monopoly and they how much they have power in the center of Siam back in those days and like even the elite they can't really do anything much because of like the pressure from how much force the Brit have during back in those days so is it's something really interesting and we see how the dynamic of like Thai foreign policy suddenly like change in the next couple of period from after the Bowling Treaty. Yeah. Mm. And especially like the capitalism coming into play too. Like uh, you were mentioning it before, right? And how like Thailand was introduced to this like um financial economic system from the modern or back in those days, the Western kind of system and they have this taxing, importing and etc. etc. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, this is also remember this is in the context of the British being really firmly established to the east in Burma and also to the south in the Malay states, as well as uh, the French kind of moving in from the east from from Vietnam, uh, you know, Indochina as they called it. Um, so 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 Thailand is doing as we said at the beginning, starting to do this uh, uh, trading water act, keeping the head above water uh, in this period. Um, and, and also, I briefly wanted to mention that uh, Monkut is also the king of the king and I, which is maybe what he's most famous for outside of Thailand. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that book is, you know, pretty fictional, but um, it's, it's, it, it, there was, you know, this, this British woman who, who was yeah. brought into his court as the teacher um, for, his, for his many, many children. Um, right. And then just quickly going back to that clip story, I wanted to say the kind of... Uh, Fun fact at the end, which is, uh, you know, so everybody mm -hmm. went to the eclipse party and uh, a lot of people caught malaria and that's actually what killed the king. Which, oh, no. which, which uh, <laughs> put his young son, Chulalongkorn, the great reformer, on the throne aged 15. Oh, yeah, it was just like Chulalongkorn, right? He was really, really influenced by mm, his father. Like how he was brought up back in those days, especially like the coming of the Western and seeing things. But I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm skeptical. Like to come to the throne at the age of fifteen, how much does he know about like to govern and to like handle the external threat? Mm. Even though we know I mean, from history how what he accomplished. But yeah, I'm sure he had advisors. Yeah, I mean, we always have to remember that they're in the yeah, court. Yeah, there yeah, are yeah, this, yeah. this, 
you know, what's today? So there's always going to be his... Um, the Kingmaker, is it? The word is... Pardon? What the fuck is the word? It... No, I swear, it's like it's like it's like a synonym for entourage. Anyway, but the, besides the point, uh, yeah, they're gonna have like advisors, right? So it's it's not gonna be totally. But yeah, it was during his ranch, right, to La Longon when he like uh, demolished the the those um um the Buna, the kingmaker. Ah, uh, retinue. The word is yeah. retinue. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I feel like that. I feel like he also like being influenced by seeing how his father and the court inside and how it was managed internally the palace that why he trying to demolish it and then bring back like centralize the power to the king because before before like um when we talk about monarchy we always look up at, at only one figure right in thai historical context but in actuality like they are this like small little not minion but like the kingmaker and the advisor that actually help um shape the uh, internal politics of thailand but and then in and gone period it was when he demolished this power to fully exercise his right as a king, centralize everything into his own, yeah. Yeah, and I think this is also influenced by the the kind of birth of the modern nation state yeah. in Europe as well. Like we said, he was very influenced by the West, and one thing he was very much trying to do during his reign is is change Thailand into more of a Western style state. So we were talking before about those that mm. Mulan system, which is essentially, you know putting them really under much more direct control. And this also kind of coincides with the development of the technologies which allowed Bangkok to do that. And we, we talked about this a lot before in our Thai imperialism episode. Uh, but the, the technology just simply wasn't really there uh, to be able to reach these these further reaches of, of, of the state that we were talking about earlier. And um, as they're able to do, as they're able to enact stronger control of these further reaches of course it is enacted and this this coincides with that kind of european influence of european style governance at the same time mm. right but like um yeah uh, they call him the king of modernization right and you mentioned like the birth of uh nation state according to the western norm and value right but then like i read in some of the texts and they say like even though despite sayam in dralongon period trying to modernize and become another modern state but they are not yet accepted to be the part of western uh nation state so like uh, you see like there are a lot of levels so the western they only stick together as a nation state and then even though sayam was accepted as okay modernized or whatsoever but they are not yet part of their own so they treat it as like a second class nation state back in those days? Of course. So I think this was something which which we're kind of getting towards and we've talked about before on previous episodes as well, which is uh, the efforts of the Thai elite to kind of portray themselves as worthy of the respect of the European powers. So part of this is introducing a lot of Western-style pomp and ceremony to the court, as well as these Western military traditions uh, incorporating those into the Siamese ones. And, we, and you know, it's interesting because we see this like really <laughs> continue uh, even after the revolution in 1932. So, and, and, and also in, in, I just want to quickly jump really far forwards. Uh, we talked about uh, how uh, General Pibun built this concept of Thainess around Bangkok military culture, which was heavily influenced by the West. And this is where we see that Western influence in in Bangkok military culture really start yeah. to appear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read in this um, textbook and it say like, um, Thai military culture is not something that was used for coercive 
um, or like force objection, but instead it was used for diplomatic, as a diplomatic mean and showing yeah. like um, we have this training, we have this like um, supported by the other country, and it was due to the fact that it was begin during the Zhuangong period where we see a lot of relationship with the Brit coming in and helping us setting up our um, military faction and military organization back in those days. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and as you said, you know, a lot of this is under, like, semi-coercion. So this is the the first Thai ruler who is, like, truly shaped by the the West. And and during his reign, Siam is, is constantly under threat from the French and the British. And when we talked about that map earlier, where you can see bits of Siam getting chipped mm-hmm. away at the borders, th- this is all under Chula Longhorn. So, yeah, you know, he really tried to get have have the Europeans perceive perceive Siam as as this equal to Europeans kind of state rather than a colonial mm. subject uh, however I, and I think that's really shaped the mindset of a lot of the Bangkok particularly the Bangkok in military military elite that okay yeah this is a reason why we were never you know formally colonized um, but as we're going to see really it was uh, when we talked at the very beginning about you know it's kind of a fluke that, that Thailand was never formally colonized. Um, this now we can see how how that fluke ended up happening rather than some. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, you know, Chulongkorn ruled for a fair bit of time, about you know, call about I don't know, whatever fifty years or something like that. Um, and then so during this time period, uh, you had the eighteen eighties, um, and. In that time, a lot of Europeans, uh, a lot, most Europe, I think every European empire uh, was really focusing um, on scrambling for Africa. And so they were working on uh, sort of establishing their presences there, expanding, developing sciences to actively deal with. Yeah, I was going to say the Berlin. Sorry? The, yeah, the, the Berlin, Berlin Conference, Conference of A5, was wasn't it? Uh, yeah. A, well, yeah, so Berlin Conference A4, yeah, A4 scramble for Africa starts A5. Yeah. So you get that, and then it's like, well, now we're going to focus on scrambling for africa uh and so uh indochina southeast asian foreign policy sort of falls into the periphery of the european mind um uh, but, i don't i don't i don't think i agree with that well I no think, it's not periphery I like you're, you're forgets india ah uh-uh. yeah but that's that's okay okay another one another allow me add a second point then but obviously at the same time um the british interests in um india or the british raj um, and, and Burma, obviously, um, those were still going. And because by virtue of geographical placement, um, what is next to <laughs> um, but Siam, right? So, and obviously what is next door to that but the French? So obviously at the same time, there is still an interest in what is going on. Um, but I, the way I see it is that this is like a little bit of time where... Um, Thailand gets to define, say, I'm gets to define itself um, in terms of its uh, um, sort of like uh, our, we are kind of the. It's like how Israel says it's the only democracy in the Middle East. Um, the way I sort of see it, it's like, oh, Thailand is the only modern country in Southeast Asia, or or, or something like that, because there aren't any other countries, because <laughs> they're all colonies. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I, I kind of see it as like more, more in terms of Siam as this. How to it's say a buffer it? zone, isn't it? 
Siam was like a work. It, well, it was a buffer, yeah. but not not quite. I would say at the moment it was still a work in progress. Sure. I think the, sure. the the Brits were fairly content with the situation with the ports, and then but the French were really chomping at the bit because the thing is the Brits had India yeah. as like the main mm. colonial the German what's what did Queen Victoria say the, uh, the, the, the biggest uh, the biggest jewel in the crown of the empire whatever the hell yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then no, the, yeah. the French wanted but like, needed yeah, something the, the, else the to French, compete, right? the French... and so they saw Indochina as as the means of doing that, and and they and so they needed to expand Indochina, yeah. and that Siam was very much like, like, like yeah. So, so then the, then you see the territorial claims and the territorial gains on like mm-hmm. Laos and Cambodia, yeah. and then so there there is sort of that interest coming from that side, but. Um, I would argue, like, like the British were pretty content with th- their border situation, except for, like, obviously down at the bit, down at the bottom, um, uh, in terms of the Malay Peninsula, and then a little bit towards the top, as we, as that map will demonstrate, like, um, there were, like, yeah. some sort of I- encroachments, but, um, on the whole, like, I think that, I don't know what, by what virtue, like, a, a lot of this period of time, I, I, I struggle to determine, um, like uh motive from a lot of these different sides because it's so weird um but by some virtue i think i think we have to look into i think we have to look into the 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 economic elements mostly because you know as we said the the brits really had this monopoly over ports and so any further encroachment could could risk you know destabilizing but that's why i think that Um, it was it was fine uh, they they didn't perceive like the french taking bits of lao as bad because there were no ports it's landlocked um, okay, so yeah. let's get into that because that's that, uh, that they, really brings us. There you us go. To I the, did it. I did it for you. Between Siam <laughs> and France, in well done in 1893. So you know, as we were saying, eastwards uh, in the mid 1800s, the French are really establishing their control over Indochina and are looking at you know expanding further east, particularly what is today Laos. And so they they sent this delegation to Bangkok to try and pressure Siam into ceding their Lao territories, which, as we said before, were, you know, not particularly strongly governed in the first place. So, you know, there were these French merchants operating out of what is today Lao, uh, which is which was at the time against the wishes of the Siam government. And so Siam expelled these three very influential merchants and uh, afterwards, and this is this is this is this really weird story that I didn't dig into enough. But the the French consular mm-hmm. officer in Luang Prabang, uh, Victor Alphonse uh, Mazi, uh, committed suicide, which is really mm-hmm. bizarre. And the French portrayed his suicide as oh he was being harassed <laughs> and dogged by these Siamese brutes and blah blah blah. And they, they were basically using it to stir up anti-Siamese sentiment among the yeah. French and the French public. And so they, 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 the French, they're kind of using this territory to the east for these colonial expeditions. And it was essentially, it was just them extending their mm. territory. So they would send in these uh, kind of mercenary units and establish themselves in one of these muangs or like smaller muangs, right? Uh, which Siam claimed. And so in uh, the, the big one, which is in 1893, uh, Inspector uh, Gros Jurin. I don't know. Uh, does anyone know how to pronounce that? Gros Jurin. Looking for the name. Where, where, where is it written? <laughs> I'll highlight it. Gros. Oh, God. Ugh. 
I, I give up. Grosjean. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, let's say, uh, so he led a militia into what is today southern Laos, uh, claimed by Siam. And also formally it was claimed by Vietnam, which is why the French had their, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the Latin word? Uh, Cassis Belli, yeah, yeah. right? Um, for claiming this. Um, but, it, but, you know, it was an annexation expedition. And um, the local Siamese governor was kicked out by Grosjean and the village was occupied. And so in retaliation, the Siamese troops attacked this French militia, which was mostly Vietnamese people, by the way. And they, they killed Grosjean. And they also burnt down the village, um, which was seen even as an overreaction by the Siamese. Uh, but the French were furious, particularly that, you know, a Frenchman was killed by non-white people. And, and they used this as an opportunity to hide intentions, mm. right? Because the French were constantly looking for reasons to enact hostilities, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and remember that the, the Siamese government at the time are very friendly with the Brits. Yeah. So the French, really, they're doing this so as to be, so as to show to the Brits, like, look how aggressive your your Siamese brutes are being towards us. We 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 insist on uh, I, I demand satisfaction without uh, <laughs> facing any consequences from the Brits. Yeah, exactly. I demand satisfaction. So yeah, and, and as we said, the Brits are really asserting themselves in Siam, and um, the French were basically demanding reparations for for this incident with Grosjean. So um, the French sent two gunboats. Remember, this is uh, eighteen ninety three. The French sent two gunboats towards Bangkok, uh, which is which looked a lot to the Siamese. This looked a lot like what the British did during the Opium Wars. And um, there's this navy fort at Paknam, uh, which is in Samulpakan. Uh, I, right. I suggest everyone go there. By the way, it's a really nice day trip. Uh, ha have either of you been there to the fort at Paknam? Nope, not yet. I'm not sure. I've been to. I. I, I keep. There's one that we keep getting, we keep driving to, but I never like bothered to ask where we are because <laughs> we go for a couple hours and then we just drive back and I'm like, that was fun, but I don't remember much. Yeah. You're doing it all wrong. There's you. What you do is you go to Samupakan uh, BTS and then walk through the market and go to the, the port mm. and then you can take the boat across. Oh, okay. Well, it's definitely, like really it definitely long, wasn't long there long then. Day. It was a different naval fort that we <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I. No, there's another one which is quite famous, but I forget oh, the name. Well, of that it might one. be that one. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so the, there's these gunboats passing right. through Pagnam, and uh, there's this brief uh, confrontation where the the port the 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 fort at Pagnam is firing on the ships. The French return fire. Uh, the Pagnam incident, as it's yeah. now known, and this is this is war with the French. Um, so the gunboats, if eventually they, they, they make it all the way mm -hmm. to central Bangkok and have they, their cannons trained on the Royal the Palace. Palace. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so the Siamese, or, you know, Chula Longhorn was convinced that the Brits would come to their aid, but uh, no. <laughs> they were like, nah, nah bro. Uh, nah. The, nah. <laughs> this is on you. Um, so basically, obviously, this is because the Brits don't want to have a war with another major European power That's on fine. behalf of Siam. Um, so, so the French uh, briefly blockade Bangkok until Siam you know, is forced into ceding. Yeah, yeah, these territories east of the Mekong, which is Laos, and that—that's how French. Oh, yeah, and also some of eastern Cambodia. Um, so th this is how the French got Laos. It was gunship diplomacy, and um, 
as well as uh, the port of uh, Chantaburi, which is in Segel province. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a couple more little outcomes of this. Uh, Prayot, who was uh, the guy that led the assault on Grajarin, um, he was also sentenced to 20 years of hard labor, which sucks for him. <laughs> and um, and also, like during this negotiation, with uh, which the Brits facilitated with the French and uh, Chula Longhorn, uh, Siam also ceded uh, its claims to the Shan states to the British. So you can really see Siam coming to terms with its position in relation to these kind of Western yeah. powers that are on its door. Yeah. Yeah, so Parliament incident is really, really a big thing, even like for both external and internal politics in Thailand, isn't it? Like for internal, you see like it's, it lay a foundation, like a groundwork for the modern Thai understanding of how, oh, we are, we are a victim of the, um, big bad foreigner who come and take our land as as you were saying like um they got the cambodian and the lao part of thailand right and we have this history lesson where they show us the map of how smaller sayam get by the time of like the fallen invasion coming in and i believe like this is the one related to the kaupavihan as well right where the is it the same territory i think i think so there was another one a couple years later yeah Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but like, yeah, that incident is really, really, in a sense, it's kind of helped with laying like the um, nationalist propaganda to Thai students, like Thai society as a Contemporary. whole. Yeah, contemporarily, yeah. like we always refer back to how, oh my god, the king, he sacrificed his money. Have you heard about the uh, Tung Dang, like the red pocket? Yeah, right? It was it was during this incident, right? They, they, the teaching is... um. The king used of his saving the Tung Dang or the red pocket and gave it to the French in order for them to like, you know, not harm us. And also as well as yeah. giving them some of our land. That's why Thailand becomes so small because we lose it to the force of the foreign invasion, etc, etc. But then like if you look at the, that is the internal politics, right? But if you look at the external politics, Thailand now, immediately after seeing all the example from of other country, our neighbor, friendly neighbor getting attacked by those invasion they now face like it's the first hand experience of how it feels to have the gun point at the palace and so now they they now know that they are really no match and they are just like insignificant actor in the international uh area because like the brit even though we thought like oh we have a really good relationship with him with them but then like when thing happened they were like nah bro you're yeah. on your own help yourself See, so so it's really really a big shift during that time at Chuanlongon and the Parknam incident, and yeah. And yeah, and you can really see this myth of like the the great diplomacy, like you know, playing foreign powers off of each other. That didn't really happen. Yeah, I feel like Thailand just got kicked off of their high horse. Like they were always like, oh, we got we got it, shield people. We have it under our control. We have diplomatic relation. We have the treaty, even though it's a little bit unfair. But yeah, we we got it, shield. But then like the gun come in, and they were like, oh shit, fuck. Yeah, but like, yeah, because you will mention like, um, how India was the big jury, the, the actual main frame, or like, would say like the wifey, but then like Bangkok, it's just like, Sayam back in those days, just like a side chick, kinda. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. With please, like a hundred side chicks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,. I'm trying to think how to transition that into the, the 1896 border. <laughs> Sorry, um, it's all right. Um, 
So, okay, let's let's try and put it this way. I mean, let's also, like, mm. this is where we start to see Siam not, as you said, you know, not having much agency at all um, in terms of these great powers. And this this really, this is really clarified in the 1896 border agreement because, you know, the British and the French, not just in Southeast Asia, but worldwide, had this, a lot of antagonisms between their different colonial subjects. So, so in, in 1896, this border conference established Siam as a buffer state between these two great mm. powers. And, um, you know, most people know this already, I think, who listen to this podcast, which is that, you know, the, the British and French were just very uneasy to share colonial borders in the in the region. And that's kind of, that's the... the, the no more, Yeah, that, 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 that's the kind of short answer to this question, why yeah. was Thailand never colonized? And we've talked about it before. Um, and, you know, this was really enforced by the, the Entente, how do you pronounce it? Entente Cordiale? Entente. I know Entente, but Cordiale. Cordial. I, I would say Cordiale. Yeah. Cordiale. Cordial. Uh, in Yeah, the lime Cordiale. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was this uh, series of uh, treaties signed by the British and the French to ensure these kind of good relations, not, not just in Southeast Asia, but worldwide between all these different border antagonisms that the French and the British were having. And so uh, it was at this conference that both nations, you know, formally renounced any plans for annexing Siam proper. And also I think it's really important to mention that Siamese leaders had had no input to this <laughs> treaty. Um, so you really do see Siam as kind of a, a subject rather than an, uh, someone, rather than something with agency. Right? Agent, like an active, yeah, yeah an active yeah. participant, yeah. yeah. I agree, I agree. Also, I forgot to mention earlier that when you were talking about like the contemporary context of this war, this is also when Siam ceded uh, Champasak, which later on, uh, in after the revolution in '32, uh, there was the other war with France where Pibon went to went to reclaim Champasak, right, and unsuccessfully until the Japanese came and intervened and gave. Uh, Champasak province to back to uh, then Thailand, right? So, so you, the, the, these antagonisms like continued onwards, and as you said, it was these territorial claims which very much kind of informed uh, later Thai politics, particularly internationally. People also, you know, obviously had to like. Um sort of demonstrate that there was a, a sort of a reason. I think a lot of fascist re leaders have to, like, demonstrate there's a reason they are the fascist leader. And it's like, oh, well, no one else can get things done. I'm going to get it done. For example, remember that time when we gave France this large bit of land? Um, you know, I'm the only one that can probably lead the, the military to, to reclaim it. Um, in fact, I'm going to take this opportunity now that the, the French are in a war and are losing... Uh, to, to, to claim it, because I'm a strong leader that only kicks people when they're down. Fascist governments often arise from kind of national humiliations, right? And so Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, yeah, much like uh, Hitler in the Germans. <laughs> um, I don't know what kind of, what, what kind of, uh, this is off topic, but what, what kind of like humiliation did Italy suffer? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because I was just, I was going to bring that up at the end. Uh, it was Ethiopia, the failed... Oh, failed, uh, yes! Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so this, right. this really ties That's in right. actually because Ethiopia is one of the only other modern states which yeah. has this yeah. claim of not being uh, 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 formally colonized. And it was kind of a similar story actually to Siam, mm. except that Ethiopia 
can rightly make the claim that they fought off a modern European full invasion, like a full invasion, mm. which Lusiana did not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly, right. exactly. So, yeah, take that, Thailand. You're not better than Ethiopia. <laughs> so, so then, like, we've got this continued French encroachment over the next couple mm-hmm. of decades. Um, as I said before, the French were trying to build this greater Indochina to rival British India. Um, many there were there were some French administrators who very much wanted to you know completely annex Siam. Um, despite that agreement with the British. The French were still pushing uh, westward into Siam uh, because of these, you know, these claims over territory. And uh, they took uh, two regions, which is today Laos, uh, one in northern and one in southern Laos. Um, in 1909, the British basically facilitated this agreement with Siam to halt that French expansion. And successfully, that is. And... In exchange for that, Siam ceded its last territories in what is today Malaysia, uh, not Patani, importantly, call back to case previous <laughs> appearance. And um, yeah. it is at that point that Siam's borders essentially resemble what they are today. So when we're mm. looking at that map, where, you know, it's all in yellow on this map, um, you, it, it looks like Thailand's borders today. Uh, also, remember that these territories that Siam were ceding, they weren't necessarily even under administration from Bangkok, rather these like French yeah, territories, true. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, and as Kay, you know, it has been saying, this, this nationalist, uh, this nationalist narrative of oh mm. look how look how we're the victims something like that it's like well you know you weren't even really controlling these territories yeah. and you know what about the people who actually lived there like i don't think that they would they were particularly loyal to siam per se i, I mean i don't really know like i said it's really hard to get you know popular people's histories of these regions but um mm. yeah yeah agree agree yeah so we see the dynamic and how it was used like the foreign policy was used as the internal politic supportive of the modern narrative, I would say. But yeah, you can see like Siam was really, really like in between the struggle of political power of the major state back in those days. And, it, and I feel like it's really shaped a lot of our foreign, foreign policy in which we would probably talk in the next episode. Like it would get much interesting seeing like in the contemporary, um, Mm. Uh, circumstance how like foreign policy come to play because this one is a little bit historical and it lay grounding uh, foundation of understanding how it come to be right yeah absolutely um but i also wanted to like kind of reflect on what this colonial history how it informs like today today like when 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 what is kind of like the i mean you've, you've touched on it a few times during this conversation but what is like the very very you know, cliff notes of how uh, the colonial era is perceived by Thai mainstream historians or maybe the the education system or something like that. As you said, you know, what is it? Like this victimization narrative or, or how do you see it? Because there's also this narrative maybe of, uh, of, of, of pride of this, you know, great diplomacy of uh, yeah. being seen as, as a fellow European, something like that. <laughs> like how, how, how do you kind of, rationalize it like oh so like to bring themselves up in the high horse like thailand is like walking among the giant the only state to 
be modern enough to interact with them, right? Yeah, I feel like that really become our pride as a Thai citizen, isn't it, in Thai society? Yeah, but it's just I feel like that's all. It's just like political play for the elite to come to power and to hold their power and to build those trust in the society to put the people trust in them and to let them govern. You know, same old politic thing. Mm. Mm. So you're saying like maybe there's kind of like these two kind of semi-competing narratives um, which are used by the same people one of victimization and then one of pride yeah and they can be utilized at different periods for however it suits the politics yeah. at the moment and both of that dimension like benefit the the one who use it to both dimension but even though it's so ironic though you know to portray yourself as a victim but at the same time as a pride of like being modernized and like walking among the giant you know uh, and i think that there's there is that like in all of Thai foreign policy there is there's it, everything is a balancing act, it, yeah. it, whether it's like dealing with China or the U.S. or whether it's telling your own population what you believe about you, the foreign politics. It's always like balancing, um, balancing something, whether it be the truth with not so truth, <laughs> whether it be two different interests, in, sets of interests, whether it's like um, um internal uh politics versus external politics it, it, everything is god we're doing a marxism guys we're doing a marxism it, it's interesting <laughs> because the, you bring up the current like u.s china balance because like you you yeah. can see it today which is this yeah kind of tentative like 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 i i definitely think that the current bangkok elite and probably uh so many periods in this history that we've talked about, they, they really saw themselves as, ah, we're being clever, we're playing both sides. <laughs> yeah. Um, when in reality, they're. I'm they're playing both sides so I can come into, up on top. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're basically forced into decision making based on the, the, the contextual circumstances, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably uh, uh, happening right now. It just happens so slowly when you're actually in it, like right now. You can't yeah. really see it that quickly. Theory, re- theory of relativity, my guy. <laughs> theory of relativity. Uh. <laughs> So the reason we're kind of finishing things up at this point is because this is just before the start of World War One, where you've got, you know, this tremendous shakeup and then also the 1932 uh, mm. revolution, which and also more probably more importantly, uh, the rise of communism and the Russian Revolution. So the threat of communism starts to exist uh in the, at the beginning of the 20th century so in the next episode that's basically gonna be all we talk about right like the cold war yeah. and um the special relationship yeah uh, actually Kay, when we were chatting you were like talk yeah. about the special relationship brackets haha with the u.s um in the next episode <laughs> i feel like you know like thailand foreign policy and foreign affair really really come to be more interesting doing like the cold war and after the world war oh II yeah one. i feel like you know yeah, the yeah. historical part yeah they're good they're good but i feel like it's just uh serving the internal politic more but then when we come to look at the period of like after the world war Two and the cold war and when you say the communists and the u.s coming to part with our internal politic i feel like it's more interesting and gonna be more you know exciting to talk about yeah well, we have to lay the groundwork you have to have your veggies before you have your dessert so <laughs> oh yeah, it's like you can't eat your pudding if you don't eat your meat. Yeah, <laughs> you can't have your um, baton go unless you eat your cow uh, pad. I don't know. Um, so I think <laughs> I think it's interesting as well. One just just another quick sneak preview for the next episode, which is we're going to see. You know, we, we talked about this kind of semi-colonial state that Siam existed in, and I would very much argue that. 
that continued under US post-World War II. Like uh, Thailand, modern Thailand was a semi-colonized state by the US. Oh, um, what? Oh, yeah. Um, America uh, doing neo-colonialism and neo-imperialism? No way. What? <laughs> so, uh, listeners, we will be back next time for that. And uh, sorry for the drought uh of episodes but we're absolutely back on it we've got a, quite a few coming soon so yeah thank you and thank you Kay very much we'll see you and uh, please uh, week, if you if you want to visit the analysis uh, the, 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 the dindang forward slash support and donate some money oh, yeah. and all that stuff yeah let's 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 get that cash <laughs> moving folks okay Yeah, it's a blue tag ball. Yeah.